Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, and today my guest is author and editor Nicole Chung. Her debut memoir, All You Can Ever Know, published by Catapult, is available for purchase now and has received countless rave reviews. Nicole has also written for the New York Times, GQ, Longreads, BuzzFeed, Hazlitt, and Shondaland, among many other publications. She's also the editor-in-chief of Catapult Magazine and the former managing editor of The Toast. All You Can Ever Know is her first book where Nicole shares how she grew up as an interracial adoptee, struggling to face prejudice her adoptive family couldn't see, while also wondering if the story she'd been told about her biological parents was true. As she unearths the truth, she discovers the reaper Percussions of unearthing painful family secrets in a profoundly moving and necessary way. It's a beautiful memoir that I highly recommend you pick up right now. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Crystal Lee. A lot of writers really struggle to know when it's time to tell a specific story when it comes to memoir. How did you know it was the right time for you to share your story? It sounds a little like simplistic to say it. I think I knew the time was right when um, when the book sold, I mean, to be honest, it, that was at the point at which I really felt like it was ready. Um, and it was partly because I wouldn't say it was necessarily like I needed the validation of that, but um, it it did mean something to me that like a talented editor had looked at my work and decided that, um, you know, that the proposal felt complete, that the book was was ready to move forward. Um, I think it's, it's sometimes we need those those signs in our in our creative life it's hard to be objective about your own work especially when it's work based on your own life (laughs) right so um yeah it was definitely something I had thought about for years obviously while I pulled the proposal together I was hoping I'd get the chance to write it um but yeah I I really do remember feeling like okay the book sold I'm ready to sit I'm ready to actually start working on this um and it was very exciting to go from like just sort of the germ of an idea to to like this this full length project. Um, it was really really thrilling to get to sit down and actually start working on it after like years of thinking about it. Proposals really can take on a life of their own, like the book. They can take just as long. How long did it take for you to complete your proposal? It's it's funny. I think I wrote the book itself in about fourteen fifteen months, and I. I I would not be surprised if the proposal took me about that long. I don't remember exactly when I started mm-hmm. writing it and when I finished and it went out on submission, but it was a process, you know, and it went through a couple of different iterations. Um, I find outlining kind of difficult and I know if you can write the outline, you can write the book, but it's just, it's like, it's gearing up to write something. It's not the same as actually writing it, it which is why in a way it was such a relief when it sold and I could really start working on it. Um, but the proposal is, is a tricky document. It really needs to be, of course, like it needs to be strong. Um, creatively, you have to have some of your best work in it and you also need to sort of sell yourself and sell the project. It's a little bit of a marketing document too. And I think that balance is tricky and it's not necessarily something that comes easily to a lot of writers, this idea of marketing yourself and your project. Um, so I, I think it's a challenging document to have to write. But um, but yes, I did sell my book on proposal, um, just in part because I really 
where I was in my life and my career wasn't in a position to like write, write a full book on spec. Once you had the proposal polished and ready to go, did you have a list of agents that you were going to reach out to with it? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I had an agent going into the process. Um, so I actually worked with an agent on the proposal. Um, I, my first literary agent um, ended up leaving publishing and connected me with one of her colleagues. And that was how I ended up working with, with my current agent, um, Maria Massey, who's wonderful. Um, so it was sort of a combination, really, of my first and my first agent, as well as Maria, who helped me sort of hone the proposal um, and really figure out what I wanted to say um, and how how to kind of uh, position the book that I wanted to write. Um, and so, no, in in my case, the proposal was not what I sent to agents. We I already had an agent going in, and then we sent that to different editors. So, when you had the proposal done, did you? Was it sort of like a book auction format or did you have a list of editors that you were ready to pitch to and send the proposal to? Yeah, it was the second where we had a list um, that my agent pulled together of people that she wanted to send it to. Did you find publishing personal essays really helpful in terms of writing your proposal and sort of practicing telling your story in a way that helped to eventually sell the book that became All You Can Ever Know. Oh, definitely. This book wouldn't have happened if I hadn't published essays first. And it was, it was a valuable way to start telling the story to see how comfortable I really felt putting not my whole life, but aspects of my personal life, you know, out there for people to read. Um, And, you know, I actually published essays for a number of years. I mean, some about this topic and many not, um, and did a lot of other freelance writing as well and editing before I really thought seriously about writing a book. I think I published some of my first essays about adoption in like 2013, 2014. Didn't sell the book until um, 2016. And of course, it just came out last year. So it was definitely a process. It was not, writing the book was not something I leapt into. It was something I really thought about. Um, And so the essays were helpful in terms of sort of easing in. They were also helpful in that, you know, it, it helps you grow kind of a platform and it helps you make connections. I got agents based on the strength of my freelance writing, I think. So um, So they were certainly crucial in, for a number of reasons. Was there a specific essay or piece of work that you had written that attracted the attention of, of your literary agent? And did they end up reaching out to you because of that? Um, you know, honestly, I don't remember. I met my first agent at a writing conference and we struck up a conversation and uh, I'm not sure she really remembered me after that. She must have met tons of people at that conference, but I remembered her um, and we, I got in touch with her later when I felt like, when I was beginning to feel as though I might have a book, um, that this, this particular story might be a book project. When it comes to personal essays, I'm a huge fan. I know it's a great way for authors to build their platforms. Do you have any tips, being that you're an editor at Catapult Magazine, on what sort of grabs your attention and what makes a personal essay something that you want to publish there? Oh, sure. That's a great question. I mean, the primary thing we're looking for at Catapult, um, and what I also looked for when I was editing personal essays for the toast. Of course, the toast also, we ran a lot of other things too, um, a lot of like humor and things like that. But um, but yeah, when it comes to essays, someone's own story, I mean, primarily it's really the voice that carries it. Um, so I'm looking for the strength of the writer's voice, like um, if, they, if they're really telling the story with 
commitment, what feels like emotional honesty and self-awareness and authority. Um, there are certainly stories that like sometimes we try to tell that might not be ours to tell, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I look for that as well. Um, but yeah, no, voice is really the thing that carries the day, I think, in personal essay. It's what, it's what people will remember even after they forget specifics of your story. Your voice is what stays with them and what they will come back to. Um, and so that is primarily what I'm looking for. In addition, at Catapult, we have a very strong focus on like narrative storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so um, for Catapult essays especially, I'm always looking for, uh, can I see, whether it's in the pitch or in the draft that I'm sent, can I see the story arc, um, the rise and fall? I'm not necessarily looking for a neat resolution. Usually personal essays don't have those, but um, is there like a clear arc that the reader can follow and, and be caught up in? Are there vivid scenes? Do I have a sense of who the characters are? Um, things like that. So that's that's really what I'm looking for too um, when I read for Catapult. When it comes to the submissions process, are there points in the year where there's maybe an influx of a lot of submissions and you have to close out for a little while just to be able to catch up? How does the Catapult team handle and manage that? Yes. Um, so I have a number of editorial colleagues at Catapult who work on the magazine with me, um, and we'll all be open or closed at, at various points. Mostly we're all open and accept like on a rolling basis. We also have a submittable um, where anyone can submit at any point for unsolicited submissions um, for nonfiction, although um, we have actually recently closed just for a month or so while we train new readers, and then we'll be reopening April 1st. Um, for fiction, for submittable, we're open twice a year in April and October. And then we usually get so many fiction submissions that um, we remain closed the rest of the year to to kind of work through and accept and, um, mm-hmm. and read. But also, I mean, I want to stress, too, like all of us editors are open pretty much year-round with, with some exceptions. Um, so if you have the contact information or can find the contact information for an individual editor, you can reach out that way as well. Um, and I'm personally closed for the next month or so. I just have a lot of travel and some other some other projects um, unrelated to the magazine that I'm kind of focusing on. But uh, I'm hoping to reopen in April or May at the latest um, for Catapult Magazine submissions. Those are some really helpful tips for new writers. And I think personal essays are so crucial, not just in terms of securing a book deal, but also building your community with fellow writers. And I sort of get to know people based on those essays and I start following their work. And definitely when they come out with a book, I'm all for ordering it because I've sort of gotten to know them through those essays. When you had your final draft ready and submitted to the publisher, what did the timeline look like between that point and when to start promoting the book and when the book was actually available for purchase? Um, so it was about nine months probably between when I turned in the sort of my final draft that went to the copy editor. Uh, I remember this obviously very vividly. It was the day after my father died um my deadline my deadline for the final um version was due so i remember doing that like the day i found out just trying to finish it up and get it out before i became really overwhelmed honestly i think it was i was still in that sort of initial period of like shock um Mm -hmm. where the grief had not fully hit me yet and i remember like finishing that up sending it to my editor and um and then i didn't do anything for the book for several weeks um but that was January uh, of last year, and the book came out in October. So, um, so yeah, about 
nine, ten months. Um, mm-hmm. Promotion started, you know, it's funny, I can't pinpoint an exact day, and I can't really take credit for the a lot of this. Uh, I had amazing publicists and a great, great tour coordinator who handled the lion's share of all the planning for me. A lot of it was just they would come to me with requests or invitations. I would say, yes, I can do that, or no, I can't, usually the first. Because, <laughs> um, of course, <laughs> you're very grateful for any attention or any um, any publicity at all. Uh, so I did most things I tried to say yes to as much as possible. And as I said, it's hard to pick an exact date when it started. I remember it started earlier than I was expecting, like probably May or June is when the first the first sort of media things began to happen. I went to uh, some conferences, some trade conferences, um, you know, in May and June. And, and my book wasn't going to be out for a few months still. So that was a little bit surprising for me, but really fun. Um, and I would say things really started in earnest, like August, September. And then, of course, I went on the road right away um, in October when the book came out. Um, so there was, there was quite a lot. I was, I was not fully prepared for how early it would start or how much there would be and uh, very, very thankful for, for everything that happened. It was, it was wonderful and unexpected. Um, but there wasn't really – I didn't know how to prepare for that because it was my first, my first book, you know, and so you don't really know what to expect until it starts happening. I have to say, I really love your publicist, Lena. So shout out to Lena. She was amazing to work with. Yes, Lena. And then um, Lena works with uh, works with my uh, our colleague Megan Fishman, um, mm-hmm. and they. So I was really fortunate. I actually had both of them helping me leading up to and during like during the tour. Um, it was incredible. So I I owe them so much. <laughs> so you essentially had this team of really great publicists, and you know you're about to go out on tour in a short little while and your dad has recently passed. And I mean, given the topic of your book, it's, it's sensitive information. So it's kind of, you know, I can't imagine how devastating and hard it is to, to keep going and to carry that balance of family and work. And then you're also dealing with the grief and loss of, of losing your dad. So I, I'm really just, in awe of it. And I also am curious how you managed to balance all of this while it was happening. It was definitely hard. In retrospect, I think I probably should have taken more time off after my father died. Um, I really was at this point, both with the book and career and with my kids, you know, kids, obviously parenting never stops. Um, It just felt like a very hard time to press pause. And it was a lot of different things too. I mean, our lease was up and we were moving and like that was also unavoidable. Um, And once you turn in a book, it's not over. You spend weeks, you know, editing, talking with the copy editor, doing sort of little line edits. I mean, not major edits at that point, but it was, it was a long process. And, um, and yeah, I, I'm, I did want to be really thorough. So I was trying to give that my attention. It was hard to sort of reread and then work on those sections, particularly the ones where my, my father was in the story. You know, I had a harder time. I just had a harder time reading and editing those and probably didn't actually look as closely at them as I did at the rest of the book um, because it was just a really difficult time to be doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, so I don't actually advise people to do what I did, which was kind of just to like buckle down and keep going. Um, I remember feeling like it was what I had to do at the time. Um, and yeah, there are, there are definitely some weeks, maybe even a few months there after my dad died when, that I truly don't remember that well. I know I was really, um, 
you know, I was in shock. I was definitely deep in grief. I was also trying to juggle um, work and family book edits and um, a move. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I, those are tough months to be honest. I, and mm-hmm. of course, like I think grief is hard no matter what you have going on in your life. If, if I hadn't been working or working on a book or if I didn't have a family of my own to worry about, I'm sure it still would have been a very difficult period. So I can't really compare, you know, since I, to, mm-hmm. to anything other than what I experienced, but I did. I felt pretty tired, and I think at some point last summer I realized I need to kind of find ways to get some kind of a break because otherwise I'll be going into tour with nothing in my emotional tank. Um, I just I felt completely just really, really tired <laughs> and really drained already, and that kind of concerned me too. So um, mm-hmm. around June or July, you know, I asked for a bit more time and I took some time. I mean, not a lot of time, but like I got away for a week with my family and it was really, it was really good to kind of reset, um, before, before the book publication and tour started. Um, but yeah, long, I mean, this is my long winded way of saying, um, I kind of just got through it because I had to, and I, I'm, I don't really, I don't really remember all of it <laughs> super clearly. Um, again, like just very grateful for everything that happened with the book, but the timing was certainly really difficult for me personally. Um, and so I had great, great support during that period and my publisher couldn't have been, you know, better about it. My colleagues couldn't have been more supportive. Um, but there are just so many things as an author, especially I think a debut author, no one can really do them for you. You know, there are so many mm-hmm. decisions that only you can make, and there are so many, so many invitations or or interviews that only you can decide if you have the capacity to do. Um, and I think we put a lot of pressure on authors. You know, obviously everyone's working very, very hard behind the scenes, but at the end of the day, I feel as though authors are kind of held a little bit responsible, perhaps too responsible for for the success of a yes. book. And so I did really feel as though I, you know, there were things I had to do. Um, and I knew I wasn't alone in them, of course, but there were just a lot of things that like you can't outsource. You have to be the one to do it yourself. It is a lot of pressure for a first-time author because you're really trying to do it all. And there's some things you definitely there's nobody that can do it in place of you. You have to show up for the readings. It has to be you that's there at those kinds of events. So it really is a lot of a lot of things to juggle at the same time. So, you know, it can it can be really daunting and I feel like even social media too. It's it's very overwhelming to be able to be in all these places all at once and you're trying to share on the right platforms. When you're going through this process, you know, before publishing, during, after touring, do you have a group of, of writer friends that you get together with where you can critique each other's work or vent when things are happening and, and you just need a sounding board of people who understand you? Oh, that's interesting. So that's a great question. Um, I have had in the past, um, not as, not as much now. Um, but I've had like different groups of friends who either we'd share work or we would just kind of hold each other accountable. So um, my friend Taylor and I used to just have a little, um, an exchange like every week or every month where we would say, we would just kind of tell the other person our goals. And it really wasn't about sharing work, although sometimes we did that too. It was like, I really want to get through this chapter by Friday, you know, and like, so Friday, like Taylor would ask me, so how'd that go? (laughs) Or, um, (laughs) you know, she would say, I really want to write about this particular thing. And so I would make it a point to follow up and see how it was going for her. And that was like hugely helpful for us. Um, 
And then for the book itself, there was this great group of debut women writers um, that I was connected with. And we all had books. I think I was the only nonfiction book, but we all had books coming out in the same year, essentially. And so um, it was wonderful. And we had a basically just a Gmail group and we would, uh, you know, we'd email one another with questions like venting, <laughs> just like, <laughs> I don't know, when we're feeling overwhelmed or when something great happened, we'd celebrate together. Um, and that was, I don't think I would have gotten through last year without them. I know I wouldn't have. And then I, we got to go to a lot of the same festivals and see each other. And that was wonderful. Um, so yeah, it was, that was wonderful. It really felt like having people to walk with me through this who were going through the same thing and had the same, at least a lot of the same anxieties. Um, and it was just an invaluable like chance to share and vent and celebrate together. What is your policy on reviews? Do you read them? Do you not read them? Do you have someone read them for you? How do you handle reviews? What's your take on them? Oh, well, I, I mean, as someone who edits online and has for years and has moderated a lot of comments, I, I don't read comments, generally speaking, on like essays or, or things like that. I had a couple of friends um, in BuzzFeed and Longreads and was very, very happy about that and also did not read the comments uh, at BuzzFeed. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of reviews. I mean, I read what my publicist sent to me. Um, I read, I, I think, most of the um you know, the reviews that were actually in like publications, I definitely saw. Um, I don't, I mean, at this point, there's like pages and pages of like Goodreads and Amazon reviews. I used to go through and um, I sometimes still do. I will go through and read. I, I admit I filter. So like I only really read the four and five star ones. <laughs> um, and I, I, I used to go through and kind of try to like them um, because I was grateful for people who left um, thoughtful reviews and I wanted to recognize it. But at this point, um, there were kind of like, it's it's hard. I'm really busy. I don't mm-hmm. get back to check in that often. And it, it is, it is a major source of anxiety. I wish I didn't care about that, but I do. And I think um, everybody does. I, have not, I think everybody does. Yes. <laughs> I have not read a single Amazon review. Again, I want to stress, I'm so, so grateful for them. Um, but it just makes me too anxious. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't really want to read the one star reviews. <laughs> like I don't need to subject myself <laughs> to that. Uh, so, so yeah, like I'm, I'm very thankful for people who take the time to read and leave a review. You know, even if it's not like, you know, positive, if they're engaging with it thoughtfully in good faith, like I, I really do appreciate it, but, um, it's hard for me to read like, like all of the reviews. And so in general, I do not. I think the majority of writers and authors, I know at least for me, like my writer friends and people I've interviewed, we all kind of have said, you know, don't read the comment sections, don't read your reviews, because it is really hard to receive that criticism, I think, and and know that somebody didn't care for the work or just they're making it a personal attack on you. I was just going to say, like, I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't know, of course, I can't compare because I have not written a novel yet. But I think that, Again, because this is my life and my family, um, mm. and I was feeling vulnerable, as you can understand, like between the book exactly. and my father's death and everything. Um, I didn't necessarily want to read reviews where, like, people might be saying things I wish they wouldn't like about my family. Um, mm. I, I think for that reason too, because because it was based on my life. I mean, was my life. I, I think it, it also made it kind of hard to open up to lots of reviews. Um, I mean, again, though, I did read the ones that were like in newspapers and magazines um, and uh, published online in different outlets. Um, 
so yeah, I, I don't know. And those were sent directly to me by my publicist. I kind of could not escape them even if I wanted to. So <laughs> um, it was, it's so interesting to read other people engaging with your work because even when it's positive and you're very thankful when it's positive, it just really drives home the fact the book has this life of its own well beyond yeah. you. Even though this is a memoir and it's about it's about me and my family. Um, you know, it could not be more personal. Still, it has a life outside of out of me and out of my mind and beyond what I even imagined for it. And people will react to it in ways I can't predict or control. And um, it's just fascinating to like encounter that. And also, yeah, I think that's another reason reviews are kind of hard for, for writers. It's because this thing has been in your head and you understand it so well. And then it goes off and, and readers, it belongs to readers in a way it does not belong to you, um, which is good and necessary and important, but it's still, it still can be very hard. Um, especially when there's like a big gap <laughs> right between what they got and yeah. what they wanted to say. <laughs> and then you just wonder exactly. like, did I just write it wrong? <laughs> yeah. I think I find it's difficult with memoir because they're really attacking you more personally than if it were a fiction story and they didn't like a particular character. This is a personal attack on if they don't like someone in your family or they don't like you, for example. Do you have any advice for writers, you know, when they're coming out with memoir as a debut to sort of handle that kind of criticism? Oh my goodness. That's a good question too. I wish I had like better advice. Um, you know, I will say you have to get to a certain point by the time you have a book out in the world, you've probably already written other things. If you're writing a mm -hmm. memoir, you've probably already written some personal essays. So the idea of like encountering readers who appreciate or don't appreciate what you have to say about your life is probably not a completely foreign concept by the time a book comes out. Um, of course, it's like a different thing altogether. It's, I mean, a book is a much longer project. It's, it's just like, it's like you've, you might have experienced it with even a viral essay, but it's not the same thing as a book just in terms of scale and scope. Um, having a great support system is, is important. I think it's important for everybody, like regardless of whether or not yeah. they write or publish, but it really helped to have people. Well, first of all, it helped me a lot to have people in my life who like were writers or in publishing or editors, people who would understand when I wanted to vent about X or Y. It was also so great to have many people in my life who knew nothing about that world, didn't really care about it. And like, I knew would not be reading these terrible reviews if they happened. <laughs> like, with these people, I could kind of just pretend like none of it was happening if I wanted to. And that was also really freeing. Um, so that was, I don't know, that was important. So having people who both really know and care about about your project and people like for whom it's not the main thing they know about you or it's not the thing you have in common. I think both those things are really valuable. Um, I think what else? I don't know. I don't want to say something simplistic or dismissive like you have to have a thick skin because first of all, I don't feel like I really do. <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> like that's so much, that's so easy to say and so hard to do. Is, but certainly yeah. I will say by the time I wrote my memoir, you know, it was obviously like a deeply intimate book and mm -hmm. I was writing about, I mean, it's not like all about trauma, but I wrote about some of the hardest things that have happened to me and some of the hardest things that I've learned about my family, for instance. And um, I had to get to a point where I was okay writing about it, talking about it, like honestly hearing from people about it and answering questions about it. Um, when you write a memoir, 
just by necessity you're putting so much of yourself out there. And when you go on the road and talk with readers or even when you stay home and you engage on social media, you know, you're going to get these questions. And um, I knew I had to be at a point where I wasn't going to be like triggered every time that happened. So there's a reason this book came out like when it did and not like, you know, seven or eight years ago. And it's not just because I knew nothing about books or how to publish a book seven or eight years ago. It's it's also because um, I think I needed some time to process, particularly like things that I learned um, when I was searching for my birth family. You know, I think it would have been hard to write about all that while it was happening or even immediately after. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I was writing about it at the time it was happening, but for myself only, or like in journals and in letters and in emails. But, um, but yeah, so I had tried to write for the public about it at that point. I think it would have been very difficult. And I didn't publish my first essay about all of this until like four or five years after the fact. Um, and then the book came even, even longer after that. So, uh, I'm not necessarily saying everybody should wait 10 years like I did <laughs> like to write a book, but, but I do think it, in my case, I needed a little bit of time and distance to process and get to yeah. a place where, honestly, when I do get negative feedback, and thankfully it doesn't happen super often, but um, when I get it, uh, it doesn't like destroy me in the way that it would have perhaps like, you know, eight to 10 years ago. Um, and that's that's not anything special about me or particularly evolved. That's just time and experience um, and many years spent, you know, writing and publishing. That's really good advice because I know, especially when I'm at writing retreats or if I'm at an event where we're working on writing pieces that are specific to trauma that we've encountered, you know, there can be a time where it feels too soon or a little too raw, or maybe we're not just ready to receive feedback on a piece that feels very personal and very heartfelt. So you kind of really do want to be in a good place at the point where you're writing about that trauma and knowing, am I ready to put this out there? You definitely want to be prepared for the kind of feedback you're going to receive too, I guess. It's true. And I think too with, um, you know, it's interesting. I've written a couple of pieces about grief since my father died. And this is of course quite immediate. You know, it's not like I waited a long time. It really felt like I had to write those at that point. Um, And it, it hasn't hurt me so much engaging with people and talking with people about it. I've been really actually grateful for the chance to connect with other people who have gone through, you know, either similar or different forms of grief. And it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about how, um, just just how I felt ready to do that so much sooner, right. than I felt ready to write about searching for my birth family. I think it's partly because they're two very different experiences. Obviously I think grief is something more people understand and have experience with and understand or have experience with adoption. Um, Mm -hmm. When I decided to write about adoption, I knew for a lot of people I'd kind of be starting from square one. They might not have read an adoption narrative before. Probably they hadn't read one by a transracial adoptee because those are rare. And so there was just kind of more work I had to do, I think, to get ready to write about something that I would be doing just by necessity, a little bit of educating too. Um, kind of laying the groundwork for people before I, I led them into the story. Whereas I think fundamentally grief is something more of us understand because of course we've lost people that we loved, um, whatever that looks like and whenever it happened. And yeah, I find when I write about that, you know, there's less explaining. People know, people have experienced it. I can kind of dive right into this is what happened and, and looking for that common ground, I guess, between our experiences. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's very different. It's interesting. Like I 
I do feel kind of a pressing need to write about that sometimes now, and it, it's much earlier than than I um, than I wrote about adoption. So, I think it's really important for people to understand the story from your point of view, being a transracial adoptee, and you know, it's it's hard to write stories where we discuss adoption and and sort of the logistics of the birth family and the adoptive parents. And I think you did a really beautiful job of being able to convey how it felt for you as the child. And it was just really well done, you know, seeing you navigate this experience and finding your birth family. And, and you know, I think if your dad was able to be here right now, he would tell you how super proud he is of you and of this work. Did he get the opportunity to review the book before it came out? He didn't get to finish it. I had sent my, um, not my, so it wasn't obviously the final, final version, but as soon as I had a first complete draft, I sent it, you know, to my adoptive parents, to my birth father and my sister um, to get there. I wanted them to have a, a chance to read it like was mm-hmm. well before publication and you kind of have an open comment question period too. So my adoptive dad did get to read a lot of it, but he didn't get to finish it. Um, he, he read most of the parts that he was in just because a lot of his sections were in the first half of the book yeah. um, and he really loved it. He was very proud and he was very happy that one of his really goofy jokes stayed in the book. Um, it's like classic dad humor. So I think, I think he was really pleased and, um, mm-hmm. I was obviously anxious about sharing it with my family. I mean, I didn't think they all knew I was writing it. They were all supportive, but I didn't really know how they'd all react to the, the actual book in their hands, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And everybody was great. And my father was the one who said, you know, this isn't really the book about your life or your adoption that like your mother or I would have written, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be like, it's your, the point is it's your memory and it's your it's your perspective, um, you know, and it's certainly not our place to, like, question that. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that honestly meant a lot to me. I think, he, uh, you know, and he really he really enjoyed it. And to him it read like the truth, which which was um, which was really important to me. You know, I didn't want to write a book, even though it was based on, on my truth and my experience, I didn't want to write a book that, like, people in my family wouldn't be able to recognize. Um, and I think for both my adoptive parents, you know, my mother was like, well, it, it read like a novel, but it, it read, you know, true. Um, and yeah, it's funny. I think she was expecting it to be more like a celebrity memoir or something. <laughs> I was like, no, like I'm, I'm not famous, so that's not what's happening. <laughs> um, yeah. And anyway, they both really liked it and were proud, and that meant that meant a great deal to me. My mother got to come to one of my readings, too, which was um, a little bit nerve-wracking, but also I think really, really fun for her and for me. I found when I began writing uh, my memoir that there was a mixed reaction from friends and family, sort of like this nervousness that I was going to tell my story in a way that wouldn't be received by them in the way that I intended. And I even had people reach out to me on social media, you know, asking, hey, uh, should I be worried about anything you're going to share there? So did you sort of experience any of that with your family or friends? Um, Nobody in my family had problems. I mean, nobody that I'm in contact with. I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. One of my, so someone I knew growing up a little bit, like we weren't really friends, but our parents knew each other, happened to read the book and got in touch with me probably via social media somehow, like Facebook or Instagram or something. Um, 
uh, yeah, he messaged me, and I think he was like, you know, I don't really remember like our our school being like this, <laughs> and I just. I was kind of like, well, you were, you were white. So for you, it was probably mm-hmm. not like this. Like, I, exactly. I think he like, um, yeah, he wasn't, I, he, to be clear, he was, he was being kind and he said he liked the book and he didn't, he wasn't saying like, oh, you made this up or yeah. something. But um, it was, if anything, it was more of an acknowledgement. He's like, it wasn't like that for me. Like, obviously, like we wouldn't have experienced it the same way. But I think mm-hmm. about just how there are probably people who have like lovely memories of my elementary school. And obviously I don't because, for me, it was like seven years of racism. <laughs> um, well, and so, exactly. so, yeah. But, right. So, but I think about that. Like, I, I remember when the book first came out, I was really anxious about people, like, from, I guess, from my past, different points, maybe childhood, coming forward and saying, like, I don't know, like, it just couldn't have been like this or, or whatever. And, and it was for me and it wasn't for them. And that's kind of what memoir is because it's based on, like, one person's memory and perspective. Um, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't say I stressed about it too much. I was stressed about mm-hmm. many, many other things, like, yeah. <laughs> um, like that I thought about far more often. But um, no, but like my closest friends, like from from when, where I grew up, like my high school friends, a lot of them were at my launch. They've all like read the book, and they, I mean, again, it was not their experience, but they've been like incredibly supportive and really, I think, glad to read it. Um, and and they know, like, why it wasn't quite the same for them, you know, just like my experience mm-hmm. wasn't like theirs. Like, we we all kind of experience the places we're from in a different way based on on who we are and what our identities are and what our families are like and, and all of these different things um, and differing level, levels of privilege. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I was a little anxious sharing it with, like, people who've known me for a long time, even people I'm close to, but so far everyone has been... Um, been very kind and very supportive and encouraging so that's been um it's been fun did you have any sort of fears or worries about the book you know prior to it coming out that just were unfounded once the book was published you know all the things you thought could or would go wrong didn't Oh no, like every single thing I worried about seems completely justified to me. You know? <laughs> um, and, and not not because, I mean, it's not because horrible things have happened. I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I was so worried about everything. It was my, again, your first book. So mm-hmm. uh, you don't really know what to expect. You have, um, you're dealing with all these pressures and requests and exciting, wonderful things and also stress. Like for the first time, it's brand new. Um, I, I don't know. I worried about everything and I still, I still think those worries make sense to be perfectly honest. I'm really happy that like many of them didn't come to pass, but they could have, like they do all the time. Um, and so, you know, and if I, if I keep writing and if I write other books, you know, I'm sure it'll be the same (laughs) anxious process every time. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting because, just thinking about, I don't know, again, very grateful, but like subjecting yourself to all of that again, it's just, it is an experience like nothing else. And um, I don't know anybody who comes through like their debut book without just feeling exhausted. Um, Yeah. Thankful for all the wonderful things that happened, but like exhausted. So I don't know, having a year like that again, is it's just really hard to think about, (laughs) even though of course I'd like to write other books, you know, Um, it's, it's, it was a lot. It was, it was both more wonderful then and like so much more than I was expecting um, just in terms of work and time and energy and like emotional labor and, and all of that. So 
It was great. I, I will say, like, I was anxious about events, like how I would do and, like, meeting people. Sometimes I'm not awesome with people. But um, it was – I loved all of my events. Like, bar none, they were all fantastic. The travel was exhausting. Did not always yeah. love the travel. But the events were so much fun, just, like, meeting and talking with people. Writing is a very solitary endeavor. And so mm-hmm. I was conscious of the fact that, you know, I wouldn't – this is a special – a special time I wouldn't get to experience, you know, this exact tour again and, um, you know, or I wouldn't get to connect with these exact readers again. And I, I actually wanted to savor that. And I think I did. Um, I don't know. It was great. There were of course a few not great things that happened, but by and large, the events were all really fun and, um, it was great to get to actually meet and connect with readers as opposed to just kind of like, writing by myself, putting stuff out there and watching reactions on social media. And don't get me wrong, that can be fun too. <laughs> but actually going out yeah. to meet people, it was new and it was really exciting. It must be really such a great feeling when you get to do a reading and witness people's visceral reactions to your work and your story. And also connecting with people who resonate with your story and being able to speak with you in person and share those things. I imagine that's just such a great feeling. It, it really did. It was like overwhelming and very humbling. And I, uh, especially because often there are adoptees, like multiple adoptees in the crowd when I read, um, there were like groups that came in pretty much every major city. Um, maybe the largest number was Seattle because there's a local adoptee group and there were probably 20 or 30 people there who were adoptees. But at almost every event, there've been like anywhere from like, you know, five to 10 at least. Um, and there would be people who, first of all, they'd ask amazing questions. And then there've been people who, you know, came up to me afterward just crying because they've never seen anything like their story in a book before. And of course my story can't represent all the stories, but, um, for many of them, it really was the first time that like they'd had this experience of seeing anything like their life in literature. Um, and that's, that's amazing to me. It just means, it just means so much. Um, so, but I also just really, I mean, I enjoyed meeting like everybody and talking with everybody on tour. Everyone kind of has their own perspective and their own reason for picking up a book. Um, but it was just lovely. And it was nice to, I got to meet so many people that I only, I only knew from like the toast or catapult or social media. Um, and I got to meet them in person for the first time. So it felt like meeting old friends and that was really nice too. Um, and being on the road gave me a chance too to reconnect with people from real life. I mean, I would go to a town and there'd be college friends there. So we'd get together or, you know, obviously when I went to Powell's, which is in my home state of mm-hmm. Oregon, you know, there were a lot of people like <laughs> All my bridesmaids from my wedding were there with their families, my Girl Scout leader and like my, yeah, um, a long lost cousin I hadn't even met before. You know, like it was just, it was an incredible experience. I don't, I don't usually get to travel and tour. And so um, just a chance to like meet and then reconnect with a lot of people really felt like a gift. It was incredibly hectic and of course stressful, but it, it was a really wonderful experience too. Oh, I love that. And I, I love the energy at Powell's too. I've been there a couple of times for readings. And oh, it's the best it's, place on earth. Uh, I mean, it's 
so I mean, awful. every Indian bookstore <laughs> has its own charms, but I love Powell's. Like, as an Oregonian, it's just like every time I go yeah. there, I'm like, gosh, why don't I just move here? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's just amazing. I love it so much. I really love the feeling of Powell's and just I'm always telling my friends how lucky they are that they live there and how much I would love to be in that area. They just seem to have this really great writing community as well. When it came to working with your publicist, did you sort of map out a plan ahead of time? Did you know where they would send you? How do they decide on that? My publicists are both with Catapult um, and, well, Catapult Counterpoint um, for one company, like one publisher now. So, um, you know, they're in-house publicists. So, Yes, I would say it was kind of a mixture of things. Um, they would certainly ask me, like, are there particular places you'd like to go? I think every publisher has has authors fill out, like, a kind of a questionnaire saying where they're from, where they went to school, where they have connections, um, do they have favorite indie bookstores, um, where would they like to do events? And that kind of gives them a starting point uh, for me. I was really fortunate in that um, we got a lot more invitations than I was expecting and I kind of got to pick and choose a little bit and it was it was a little bit of a bummer because I couldn't say yes to everything and I really wanted to but you know there's limited time and there's limited money you know your publisher's not mm-hmm. made of it so um, it was it was clear I was going to have to kind of pick and choose at least if I wanted them to cover it <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah but I, I ended up you know I'm from Oregon so I obviously really wanted to do a reading um, or multiple readings in the Northwest. Um, so we planned like a, a couple of actually um, of West Coast tours, tour legs. Um, and then I live in the DC area. So that was, that was an obvious one. Um, you know, my publisher's based in New York. So we of course had some New York events. Um, and I, I also went to Chicago. I went to some book festivals. Um, I went to Texas and also the Portland book fest. Um, I went to the Bay area. So yeah, there were, it was, it was really a matter of like what I could do, how long I could be away from my family, honestly, um, and away from work. And then like what, you know, what we could pay for and, and what made sense in terms of, um, in terms of the timing, because most places they do want you to come within a few months of publication. Um, so for some events I did end up saying, you know, if you're open to it, I could come out in 2019 and I'm, I'm still mm-hmm. doing events and festivals. Um, actually all my travels about to start up again, but I'm doing several book festivals this year and some other events as well. Um, I go to Philadelphia next week. Um, I'm doing the Northwest Passages book club in Spokane, which I'm really excited about. And then I'm going to, um, to several festivals. So yeah, it's funny how like the um the fall tour kind of bled into um like <laughs> spring festivals and in between I did a lot of DC area events. Um so yeah, it's it's a lot. I I kind of expected it to to slow down and it hasn't again, but it <laughs> I mean it's great. It's wonderful there's still interest. I'm really really honored by that and happy to to still go places, but it's it's I'm like, oh, maybe this is kind of just my life now for a little bit because then the paperback tour will be this fall. Um so mm-hmm. so yeah, I think I think I'll still be traveling kind of uh, you know, for for events and then it'll sort of bleed into the paperback tour. That's really exciting that it's also coming out in paperback this fall. In terms of conferences, do you find it's a really great place to meet up with some of the people you've only ever interacted with online, being able to network and see each other in person? Are the conferences worth it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it depends on the conference. Some of them are just very huge. And so I think they're still really fun and worthwhile. But it, you have to like really like arrange a meeting place. And it has to be an obvious meeting place so that you all don't <laughs> get lost and actually find each other. Um, I do. I generally each conference try to pick at least a couple of people that I really sit down and catch up with. So of course, you can't really see everybody. Um, and there's always like dinners, and, like group dinners and parties and things that are arranged around conferences. And sometimes I'll go to those. Um, and then festivals. Festivals are a fantastic place to meet fellow authors. Like I had so much fun doing that in Texas. I really kind of just fangirled over a bunch of people and it was a little bit <laughs> embarrassing for me in retrospect, but it was just so fun to meet. I, I really did. It felt like, I mean, it felt like meeting heroes, honestly. Um, yeah. And yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. Heroes and also old friends. And that was really lovely. So um, that's, I love that part of book festivals. I mean, the events are great. And they're just, it's super fun to participate in. But for me, the best part of those is just getting to, um, like, mingle and talk with other authors. Again, because writing is, is often something we do without at least a community around every day. And, um, and I don't live in New York. So uh, for me, especially, I think, um, it can sometimes feel a little bit isolating, and I, I I really enjoy having the chance to meet a lot of a lot of fellow authors at festivals. I think that's why I really love the conferences too, because it is pretty isolating. I live pretty far away, so it's a nice opportunity to be able to connect with fellow writers. And I just always feel so energized, ready to write when I come home. Do you feel the same? Do you feel like it gives you that sort of boost? creatively to be around all those people and come home and and get back into writing it's been actually really hard to write this year in between travel and book stuff um but yeah in general what i mean what inspires me the most is just having time to sit and read other writers um Mm -hmm. but but yes i do end up feeling kind of energized like it helps to hear what other people are working on and also what other people are struggling with. And I think a lot of us with recent books out, it is, it's hard finding time in the midst of travel and promotion to write. Um, But yeah, I do. I find, I find the conferences and festivals to be inspiring, even if it doesn't actually lead to me sitting and writing a lot when I get home, you know, it reminds me of why, why I do what I do and why I love it. Um, And, you know, I make goals to get back to it. And that's really important. Have you ever experienced, you know, the dark night of the soul when you're writing and it just feels like nothing's working out and, and you don't know if this is going to go anywhere or shape itself into something worth publishing? How did you, how did you deal with that? I probably had several moments of just feeling like scared or frustrated with it. I mean, we all have those days as writers where it's not working very well. And and yeah, of course, telling such a personal story, it was very nerve wracking and in kind of different ways, I think. Um, but I mean, a few different things helped. One was just I'm an editor. And so I have a lot of faith in the revision process. I have a lot of faith Mm -hmm. in the drafting process. It doesn't mean it always goes well for me. (laughs) And sometimes I hate revision, but um, I've seen it happen over and over with, with my work and with other people's work. I just know that like, eventually I can get something to a point where I no longer hate it. (laughs) And I have to just remember (laughs) that it's happened before. So it's going to happen again. Um, Another thing that helped was, honestly, I had such a great, close working relationship with my editor, Julie Button, um, who's the author of Marlena. I don't know if you're familiar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love love that. Julie is incredible. Julie edited large chunks of my book on her own book tour. That's how amazing Julie is. and every time, honestly, that I hit kind of a roadblock, I would, sometimes I would talk with her and that would help. And sometimes I would just think, 
Julie knows I can do this. Like I can do this. <laughs> um, oh, so and cool. it was great. I really think the editor you work with is so key. Um, it really, because even when, even when we didn't actually talk through the problem together, I mean, I knew she was available for that, and I knew, I knew she believed in it, and she often believed in the book even when I was struggling too. So, um, yeah, having having an editor like that was was just, I think, a, a big reason why I was able to do it. Um, I cannot give Julie enough credit. Julie is fantastic. I really admire the work she's done on several different, you know, books and, and essays uh, from writer friends. And I think it, it you're right. It's so key. And she's just great. I met her at uh, the Slice Literary Conference a couple of years ago, and she was wonderful. And she also has her book, Marlena, out as well. That's available. So shout out to Julie. <laughs> um if you had the opportunity to jump in a time machine, go back to your early writer self and give her a piece of advice, what sort of wisdom would you impart on your younger writer self? Oh, gosh. I mean, it, that, it would change a lot depending on which former self I was encountering. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because I didn't really, you know, I didn't. I came to nonfiction a little bit late. I didn't really start writing it at all until um, like my late 20s, early 30s. Um, you know, before that, I'd, I'd mainly written unpublished fiction and, and really bad poetry, actually. So um, I don't know. But at the same time, I, I don't think I'd go back and tell my younger self, you should switch to nonfiction or at least think about it sooner. I think there were things I had to do and experience before I could even really consider writing creative nonfiction. Um, I think that happened at the time for me when it needed to happen. And then it's nice to think of going back to tell my kid self who wanted to be a writer, you're going to be a writer, surprise. But yeah, um, yeah, part of the, I don't know, part of the reason I, I don't take it for granted and why I'm so thankful is because for many years I didn't know, of course, that this would happen. Um, you know, you're writing on your own or, or even like in classes or with friends, but you don't really know if anything will come of it. And so for a long time, it's just kind of your love of it that, that keeps you doing it before you get to the point where you have publication and external validation or, you know, money, which is really key. <laughs> I don't want to discount the importance of making a living. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess like it would be nice and reassuring to like if I'd known at that point I was working towards something that it would actually work out. Um, but I didn't. And maybe partly I, I had to like have that uncertainty to keep me going like as motivation. Um, so I don't know. It's it's a really good question. I wish I had a better answer. But I think I honestly think the most powerful thing maybe I could have said is like something nebulous, like it's going to work out <laughs> without mm -hmm. specifics, because, um, yeah, like you'll be happy with your life and with your writing. It'll just take time. Um, and I think there are definitely people who can like write amazing books in their early 20s or mid 20s. But I wasn't I wasn't there. I mean, it just took me longer to think about writing and to figure out what I wanted to say and to be like brave enough and to find people who believed in me too. Um, that just took time. And I think it honestly happened when it was supposed to happen. Um, I don't actually have regrets about, you know, about how long it took or about the circuitous route or about the second guessing. I think, I think kind of everything I went through and everything I thought about is what I had to do to get here. No, I really think that's great advice. I think it's 
there's part of it when you're writing and you don't know where it's going to go or you don't know if it's going to end up being something. There's sort of this really delicious mystery to it. So I do agree with you. I think it's kind of nice having the unknown because you don't know what to expect. Is there any particular books that you're reading right now or something you've recently read that you're just absolutely loving and would like to give a shout out to you on the show? Um, the Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Weijun Wang. Um, and I'm reading Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira mm. Madden. Um, what else? I'm trying to think. Um, I've got both of those oh, in I read, my pile. <laughs> yeah, so I, read, read I read Circe. Oh, sorry, my kids just got home, so they're being loved. That's okay. Um, I, I read Circe by um, Madeline Miller, and I really loved that. I also really loved her first, The Song of Achilles. Um, I read both of those over the holidays. Um, they were Christmas gifts to myself. <laughs> they, were, um, they were really great. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a part of the show today, Nicole, and thank you for listening to Literary Speaking. All You Can Ever Know is available for purchase now, so please do make sure you get a copy and review the work on Amazon and Goodreads. Nicole Chung can be found online at www.nicolechung.net. Until next time, hand to heart, pen to paper, write on. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals.